to take your copy of the scripture this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. Working our way through the book whose very name is Beginnings. Genesis. Beginnings. It was a German philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, that said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, that's awfully encouraging. Hey, you aren't dead. The fact is, I don't even think it's true. Because I think the impact of difficult times all depends on how you respond to them. How you respond to them. You see, today, Jacob experiences the discipline of God. And when we have seen the treachery, you may recall, of Rebekah dressing up her son Jacob with, with her, his brother's clothing and goat hair on his, on his arm in order to deceive his blind father. How treacherous. You see, Jacob is yet to learn that God could be trusted there are no need for schemes in our life, no need for deception. God's will will be done. And so he is experiencing, or at least begins to experience, the discipline of God. And, and while it doesn't feel like it, it's a demonstration of God's love. Hear me when I say this. God disciplines his children because he loves them. I mean, that's what Revelation 3.19 says. You know, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. God does what he must do in the way that he does it, in the timing in which he does it, to change the heart of his children. And unlike parents who don't really know the hearts of their children, only what they can observe and put together. And never out of emotion, my friends, but always motivated by love. God disciplines his children. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us the purpose of discipline. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, we read, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Amen. We, we, we looked at discipline as a child as, well, I didn't see what the value of this is other than curbing someone's anger by what I did. What's the point of this? We didn't have maybe value discipline so much until we grew up, huh? Yeah. But you know what? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but... Later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so the goal of discipline is righteousness, to get you on the right path, to get you in the right place. And so discipline is painful. It, it, nobody, it's the blessing that nobody wants. You know, yeah, we want to know all about the love of God until it involves God turning my life upside down in order to turn my heart to him. It's a concept known in the military. 
expressed in the phrase, embrace the sock. I'll tell you what, when I played football, we did these two-a-days, you know, that's summer, you know, in the morning we get out there, the dew's on the ground, and the sun isn't all the way up, and for a few hours we are running, and uh, I'll tell you, in ninth grade, my freshman year, we had this coach, I mean, I think he just enjoyed watching young men suffer. He would line us up on the goal line, everybody get on the goal line, and we know what that meant. We weren't going to sing songs there, my friend, we were going to run. And he would run us back and forth and back and forth. We did these to the 5 and back, to the 10 and back, to the 15 and back, over and over again. And then he would say, are you tired? And we would say, yes. And he would say, then you're out of shape. Let's keep running, you know. Well, we finally figured that wasn't the right answer. You know, are you tired? No. Well, good. Let's run some more, you know. And I'll tell you, nobody enjoyed that except maybe the coach. But we knew at the end of the season in the fourth quarter when we were strong, we knew where it came from. Discipline, my friends. Yeah, embrace the suck, the difficult. It means to accept and to appreciate what is extremely unpleasant but unavoidable in order to make forward progress. The purpose of God's discipline. To get us where God would have us to be. And one of God's most effective tools, and he can use just about anything, is family members. And awaken any members, any memories there. And this is where our account begins. Having been sent by his parents... To find a wife, Jacob is uh, now arriving at just in time to meet some significant soon-to-be people in his life. People whom God will use to change his heart. So take a look with me in Genesis 29 and verse 1, where Jacob is meeting the people that God will use to discipline him. Notice here in verse 1, he met uh, people who knew his family. Remember, uh, his parents, uh, you know, Isaac and Rebekah had sent him to Rebekah's brother's house. And there he was supposed to find a wife. And so Jacob went on this journey, verse 1, and came to the land of the people of the east. And he said, who in the world are those people? But I'll tell you this. Starting all the way from the beginning of Genesis, right out of the garden, toward the east, toward the east, people moving toward people who are thrust out of a group, head to the east. It seems to be connected with people who are not worshiping God. A little bit of context there. And now as he looked and saw, verse 2, a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered, of course. And the stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and the water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. It seems like a lot of instruction here about watering sheep. But it will be significant later on. And Jacob said to him, verse 4, he said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we're from Haran. And he said to them, hey, do you know Laban, the son of Naor? And they said, we know him. 
And he said to them, it is well with him? And they said, it is well. <laughs> Interesting conversation. You know, and, the, and he said, and they said, and little short answers. And see, at the end of this, it is well. They said, and see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and pasture them. So Jacob's given them some instruction here. You know, but they said, well, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Now, previous instruction said it took some shepherds, plural, to move that stone. And he says, and then we water the sheep. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, the name Rachel means you. It's a perfect name for a, uh, a shepherdess, I'll tell you. And you'll notice now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And so Jacob apparently put some elbow grease behind this thing and move the stone by himself. And then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. I can't read this without thinking, Jacob, Jacob, putting in pie, kissed the girls and made them cry. <laughs> but I think what we have going on here is not romance. We see Jacob who is so happy to see his family member, who doesn't know it yet, by the way, but is about to find out. And Jacob, look at here in verse 12. And so what we have done is we have met the people who have known his family. Then we meet the woman who would be his wife, Rachel. And here in verses 12 to 14, he meets the man that God would use to turn his heart. Family member. Notice verse 12, and Jacob told Rachel that he was his, her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him. Now, running in the Old Testament was not something that you read a lot about. It was a, how can we say this, not distinguished for older men to run. But some people overcome this when there is joy and excitement to meet someone. In this case, family. And so he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to the house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month and so now all of the players are on the scene. And this, my friend, is where it gets humorous. Because there is a truth. You have heard it from this pulpit right here numerous times, and I will tell it to you again. With my ears wide open, with my hearing aids turned up loud, you will reap what you sow. 
My friends, may it burn into your brain. You will reap what you sow. It is a rule of life that God has put into place. You throw a ball up, it will come down. You will reap what you sow. And Jacob is about to experience that right here, right now in verse 25. And so here is Jacob, he's been there a month. In verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages shall be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak. And some of you thought that that did mean something with blindness or something, which would be ironic considering his father had been blind when he deceived him. But others, I think, tell us that perhaps her eyes just lacked the sparkle of her sister Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but notice the contrast. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. We'll not elaborate on that verse. Jacob loved Rachel because Jacob was a man of the flesh. I see something I like, that's what I want. No consideration of the heart. You will notice that the scripture does not anywhere record Jacob bowing his head and getting on his knees and asking of the Lord, what is your will in this matter? I mean, surely you did that. I know that when I was dating Melanie, I thought, I'm crazy about this gal. But I had been crazy about other gals before. And I asked the Lord, I, I know that if you want me to, I could love this woman the rest of her life. But the question is, do you want me to? He said, yes. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you what, my friends. So here is Jacob. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years. Think about that, man. Seven years wages for this woman he just met. Would you labor seven years worth of wages for your wife? Let's not beat on, up on him everywhere. He says, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, well, it is better that I give her to you than uh, that I should give her to any other man, so stay with me. In other words, agreed. <laughs> You'll notice they didn't sign any documents. Verse 20, now look at this. This is wonderful. This is discipline installment number one. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Isn't that wonderful? Friends, we have to pause and just consider that. That feels good to read, doesn't it? Well, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. 
So Laban gathered together all the people of the place, and he made a big feast. And, but in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her, and Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah, the one that didn't have the sparkly eyes. <laughs> Come on, my friends. He just got conned. And here's the thick irony of this. The one who deceived, the one whose name means deceiver, got deceived. And do you know what the wonder is? Look at this. He says, it's Leah. Oh, heavens. So Jacob is deceived by Laban. And there's some serious irony here. But look at this. Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? How dare you deceive me? Apparently, that's the thing with sin. We don't mind doing it to others as long as they don't do it to us, right? What have you done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? And he says, shouldn't we do what's right? <laughs> and look at the hypocrisy. His eyes have not opened yet, friends, but we'll get there. Why then did you deceive me? And Laban says... Well, you see, in our country, we don't give the younger before the older. Wasn't that the whole thing with Jacob and Esau? And Esau was the older and Jacob was the younger, but the younger is going to serve the older and he's going to get his own way and break that little rule. <laughs> and there's the irony. So we move on to discipline installation number two. Jacob have served seven years for Rachel and got Leah. So here's Laban's, uh, well, we know how to fix this. Just serve me another seven years for Rachel and we'll call it even. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed her work celebration of seven days, my friends. And we may come to verse 28, at the end of verse 28, we see that Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. And so while Jacob is getting flipped and flopped, God is doing a work through him as well, because God made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob to bless them and, what was that word, multiply them. And you will notice here in verse 29, Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, a little favoritism. Apparently we need to learn something from that as well. You may recall that Rebekah, favored Jacob over Esau. Hmm. Wow. So Jacob went into the, and loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served Laban for another seven years. So he has served Laban now 14 years. 
and the service continues. And what we have here, my friends, is the foundation of a nation. Let's zoom back to the big picture here. God is building a nation. How's he doing it? With people. And God is the one who is in charge of peopling that nation. Remember that covenant that God made to Abraham was to bless him and to multiply him and to make out of him a great nation. And that anyone that blessed that nation would be blessed. And anyone that cursed that nation would be cursed. And through this nation, all the families of the world would be blessed. And of course, the fruit of this nation is Jesus. And through Jesus, the opportunity of salvation abounds, my friends. And now we see the fruitfulness of this family. And here is the Lord peopling this nation. So the Lord first and foremost opens the womb of Leah. When the Lord, verse 31, saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And you will notice here that Leah gives birth to four sons. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Is there not great sadness in all of this? Poor Leah, frankly. People ought not to be treated in such a way. Sad, very sad. And she conceived again, verse 33, and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again, she conceived and bore a son. And now this time, this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. And therefore she called his name Judah, which means praise. And then she ceased bearing. And so it is all beginning for Jacob, reaping what he sows. But you know what else? That covenant is in place. And we're going to see the dynamics with Laban and his superpowered deceitfulness over <laughs> Jacob. And we're going to see how God continues to work on his heart. But let's wrap it up for now, my friends. Sermon in a sentence. God graciously uses circumstances, consequences, and difficult people in our lives over time in order to shape us. That's the Bible to go right there. God graciously using circumstances, consequences, and difficult people over time to shape us. That's what God does. We ought not to pray for an easy life, my friend. Oh God, may there be no difficulties in my life. Just leave me the way I am. No, God has a bigger bigger purpose for you than that. And discipline is for those who are not pursuing him. Discipline is for those who are careless and carefree 
and give no time to following the Lord Jesus, who died for us, by the way. So I, I commend you, my friends, do not resist the discipline of God. When difficult times come, know, my friends, it's not necessarily even that you've done something wrong, but that God continues to shape you. We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God uses all kinds of difficulties in our life to prepare us and shape us. So don't resist the discipline of God, my friends. The discipline of God not only demonstrates his love, but your legitimacy as a child of God. You see, God only disciplines his children. If you don't have a clue what we're talking about with the discipline of God, my friends, I would be concerned about that. If God has not brought you through difficult times, I would wonder, why? Why is he not shaping my life? Take note of that, my friends. Application number two, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, my friends, because they will. What you sow, you will reap. Love one another. If you're a husband here this morning listening to my words, do not treat your lovely wife as Jacob was with Leah. Shame on you if she thinks she has to earn your love. You are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to love her as Christ loves the church. So get at it. Love your husband, love your wife, love your children, love your father and your mother and your neighbor and your co-workers, the people where you shop and other drivers on the road and those you come in contact with. Sow some good stuff out there, my friends. Sow some love. And lastly, weigh your choices carefully, my friends. It has been rightly said, you sow a thought. And you reap a deed. You sow a deed and you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. Choose carefully here this morning, my friends. But do not resist the discipline of God.